0: Welcome back to this edition of Creator Talks. I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. My guest today is Chris Sabella. Chris has been on the show before. He was on episode 86 to talk about Cold War being published by Aftershock Comics. We're going to get an update on that. And on that episode, we got an idea of how Chris got started working in comics as a writer. Well, this episode he's returning with a guest, his artist for Shanghai Red, being published through Image Comics and that premieres on June 20th. The artist is Joshua Hickson. Shanghai has been in development for several years and now it is ready to be revealed. Take to the high seas in this 19th century adventure. This is the story of Shanghai Red, a wronged character out for revenge. And it's also a story of identity, the dual identity of Shanghai Red. The story is based on the 19th century Shanghai tunnels beneath the city of Portland, Oregon. Chris will explain how those tunnels were used and separate fact from fiction. Plus we talk about the creative process itself in developing this series and why Chris is relieved to be doing a mini-series like this. And why was 2014 a big year for Joshua? And What's the downside to doing creator-owned books? with the publisher and how Image is overcoming that downside with its creators. Plus a few fun questions that I ask all my guests like, for example, what did Chris and Joshua have on their bedroom walls where they were growing up? And what music were they listening to at the time? Let's begin the conversation here now on Creator Talks. Chris, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. And Josh, welcome to Creator Talks. Thank you. Appreciate you having me too. I have a question for you before we get into the book. Have either one of you been on a tall ship before or a ship at sea?
1: I was on a booze cruise once. (laughs)
2: Uh, I've done one of those too. I actually took a sailing class in college. Other than that, no. (laughs) I haven't either. I've been on a tall ship docked,
0: not... Out in the sea, you know, just kind of there as like a museum. Tell me about this booze cruise. Wait, I want to hear more about
1: this. It's just, you know, like somebody rents a boat and then it just like circles. Uh, When I did it, I lived in Chicago, so it just circled Lake Michigan. People just drink and then eventually time runs out and then the boat docks and then you're drunk and you're not on a boat anymore.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that, that was my experience as well, except in New York. Oh, man. Well, you know, if you have a designated driver, that's fine, right? Who cares? Have a good <laughs>
0: sure, time. Sure, yeah. You get sick, just lean over the edge. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to just define something first so everyone knows. Let's be clear about what to be Shanghai means. And people still use the phrase today. But once it was coined for someone forced to join a ship's crew by drugging them or trickery or violence, knocking them over the head. Now, Chris, Shanghai Red is a late 19th century story based on historical fact. What did you discover in your research about the Shanghai Tunnels beneath the city of Portland, Oregon, where part of the story takes place? How much of that information you learned is fact and how much is fiction that is the basis for this story? The tunnels actually existed. Uh,
1: They were mostly built as a way to easily move stuff from the boats on the Willamette uh, into downtown without having to deal with uh, traffic and stuff. The Chinese Tongs did set up gangs. I mean, the Chinese Tongs did set up down there. um, So they had illegal operations underground. But as far as like the tunnels being used to actually kidnap people and move them to boats, there's a lot of contention about whether or not that's true. Mostly it seems like it's not just because Portland was so corrupt back then that you didn't have to sneak somebody under the street. You could literally like just throw them in the back of a wagon like drunk and passed out and move them to a boat. Nobody would care. It wasn't their business, and uh, the right people had all been paid off. So People still argue about it, and I think the way we approach it, we don't really lean into it. We lean into it a little bit, but not heavily. It's a good piece of fiction. So I figure as long as people are arguing about it, then that still leaves room for our interpretation. So how much of it is true or not has
0: still not been decided. Uh, So I'm going to say we're at least 50-50 for the truth on that. Now, you had a specific reason for setting the story in Portland, kind of a paying back. Uh, Please explain why you used Portland as the setting.
1: Uh, Just because I moved here in uh, 2010 to break into comics and now I guess technically I have broken into comics. So yeah, I felt like when I stumbled onto the Shanghai stuff, it felt like kind of a good way to sort of pay back this city for helping me uh, achieve my dreams. I wrote a book that's basically like, Hey, here's how terrible this city used to be and like how it was complicit in the like murder and abduction of
0: all these people. So Kind of a conflicted love letter, but a love letter all the same. Well, let me talk about the book a bit. I have to share this with you. I did not read the solicitation for the book before I read the copy I was given. So the title didn't mean anything to me. I was just opening the book. I'm like, oh, 19th Century Ships. Great. Looks good. I like that kind of thing. I'm going to read it. And I read it with no knowledge, kind of like avoiding movie trailers, not wanting to know anything. I just wanted to like dive into it. And the book took me by surprise because in the first few pages – There's a major turn of events, and then within that same first issue, there's a reveal. To understand what makes the story so special, and I think this is non-spoiler, in the solicitations, even the ones that came out for the second issue, I want to talk a bit about Jack and Red and who she is. Chris, why does she have two identities, and how do these connect with her family?
1: She has two identities because, you know, back then, women were only allowed to have certain kinds of work. If they were allowed into the logging camps, it was to serve as like cooking food for the men and cleaning up. Uh, Red grew up on a farm. It was her and her mother and her sister by themselves, basically. So, you know, she grew up basically running stuff and helped protect her family on the way to Portland. And the only way she could ever sort of get, respect, I guess, or at least acceptance, was by dressing as a man and, like, blending into that world, and suddenly she realized that, like, people didn't even bat an eye at her. They let her go places normally she wouldn't be able to. So, yeah, then she begins to adopt this identity of Jack uh, as a way to sort of do the things she wants to do, but then ironically, her being Jack is the reason that she gets shanghaied. Like, they think she's just some dude who uh, they can kidnap and sell off to work on a ship uh so once she gets on there then she has to maintain this illusion that she is jack and a lot of the conflict with her is what are the things that i do that are me and what are the things that i do that are jack am i innocent if jack does something can i just like sort of brush my hands of it so a lot of it's just about identity she likes being jack She likes how it feels and, like, how it opens the world up to her. So, you know, she's sort of trying to figure out exactly who she is at the same time as she is, you know, trying to track
0: down these people and pay them back for what they did to her. And I'm glad you explained that, that women weren't always able to do many of the things that men did back then. But this is not the story of Yentl at sea. No, no. No. There'll be no singing here. This is the story of vengeance. I bet you never pitched it that way. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's the first time i've ever heard yentl let's see yeah but you started working on this book a while ago like several years ago working it in between other projects that you two had how much has it evolved from your initial concept You know, you're taking your time with it you don't have to rush it out how much has it changed since you first worked together on it
1: i knew how it started and i knew how it ended all the stuff in between was i sort of had a good idea of what was going to happen, but also I kind of had no idea. So I basically had the starting line and the finish line. It's just been evolving as Josh and I have been working together. Like, you know, the more I think we got comfortable with each other and, you know, the more we started seeing what the other was giving the other, you know, like getting Josh's pages, changed stuff I wanted to do or how I wanted to tell the story. Uh, this stuff evolves, you know, even in a short span of time, like we just sort of had the luxury of being able to not have to rush through it because we had to stop and take all these other jobs. Like we
0: kind of really took our time on this. Josh, how much did it change for you?
2: Uh, I'd like to think the art got better. (laughs) When I first started off, I don't know, I felt like I was a completely different artist in a way and I actually went back not redrew, but I like went through like almost half of the first issue and just like got rid of or, and touched up a bunch of stuff that I really didn't like about how I was drawing or, or coloring. So yeah, when we started off, I kind of had a color palette in mind that was like kind of muted. All the flashback scenes were um, in black and white. That was actually something that I changed or we changed pretty early on because I didn't like how it was looking. It didn't feel like it like set the mood or anything. The way that I was drawing, I feel like the way I draw now is very different than I was four years ago. I was using different tools and stuff. Honestly, could easily go back and redraw a bunch of stuff, but that's, uh, I'm trying my best not to do that. Four years is a long time for an artist. A lot
0: can change, especially young artists, in terms of their style.
2: Yeah, and I would definitely consider myself still um, pretty young and learning a lot. You know, this is my first published work and everything. So, I mean, I think it's still, like, consistent overall, and it still looks like me and everything, which is... Important, I think. But hopefully people you know, stick around (laughs) towards the later issues because I think they're better. (laughs) Well, how far ahead have you worked? Well, I'm in the middle of finishing like the last two pages of four. Um, I just finished the fourth cover literally today. (laughs) I sent it to Chris like a couple minutes ago. So we really just have to do five and that's it. Well, the artwork is striking. It's bleak, it's violent, but it's great.
0: And it certainly expresses to me the cramped and claustrophobic feel of being in a ship, being stuck on a vessel like that, and the powder keg that the crew can be when they're ready to just overthrow the captain.
2: I definitely wanted to draw it. I don't know, I have kind of like a, a rough inking style, and I felt like that fit the book really well. I wanted the colors to kind of match that. we mean, Chris talked about that a, a bit when we first started off. So yeah, I mean, that was the goal. So I'm glad it's working. (laughs) So you are drawing and coloring
0: it. And is that how you always handle your books is that you do the coloring as well as the drawing? I know this is your first published work, but is that what you prefer to do?
2: Yeah. I mean, I've actually only ever worked with a colorist for like a pitch for a book. Everything I've done prior to this has either been black and white or I colored it myself. But like, this is the longest uh, lengthwise, it's the longest I've colored something. I started it one way and I felt like, um, as I did more and more, the the palette changed, and I kind of went back and, and changed some stuff about the earlier issues. But um, yeah, basically, this is my uh, first book that I'm coloring.
0: <laughs> Let's talk about your artistic training and the challenges that you faced working towards your first professional gig.
2: Yeah, it's definitely very scary first starting off. I think that was probably the reason I kind of had to... I felt like I had to keep going back and be like, oh, fixing stuff, which... Is very bad for an artist to do. I don't recommend anyone do that. You know, if you kind of have to learn to, like, do something and then let it go. But apparently that's a problem with a lot of people. So, yeah, I went to SVA for three years. I mean, I knew I always kind of wanted to do comics, but I didn't know much about the difference between, you know, there's illustration and there's cartooning. And I was just like, well, I want to do comics, so I'll do cartooning. And then I quickly learned that it's not easy. <laughs> it's very hard. And I was like, well, maybe I we made the wrong decision. Maybe I should have been an illustration. But um, that first year was pretty rough, but I stuck with it. Um, had really great teachers. at had David Mazzucchelli in my last um, semester, uh, which was pretty unbelievable. And yeah, I mean, I got uh, in touch with Chris or he messaged me like directly. I think it was a few months after i gotten out of after I graduated, that was very cool, but also very weird. I expected to do, um, to not be working uh, on comics like immediately. <laughs> I kind of thought that I was going to have to do like, you know, your uh, nine to five for a long time <laughs> until someone reached out to me. So that was um, super cool of uh, Chris to kind of pick up a noob like me. That's not typical either for a lot of artists. I don't know. I mean... <laughs>
0: I guess it would be cool if that's true. Um, (laughs) Now, I mean, you did go to school for cartooning and art, but still for a lot of people, they're struggling to get to that as full-time work as their job.
2: Right. Well, and to be fair, I mean, it's not like a publisher contacting you and saying, oh, we're going to pay you. Like I still had to do other work and that was part of why it was uh, slow going at first. And we took a lot of time off when we first started off. There was a big lull between when we were pitching it and um, when we continued the book. Now, having David Mazzucchelli teaching, is that one of your influences?
0: I would think that'd be a, a perfect fit there.
2: You know, I wish I could say that I was like heavy into his work when I got into his class. I only knew like, you know, Daredevil... Uh, year one, my knowledge of comics <laughs> up until when I went to school was pretty um, minimal. I read, you know, like superhero comics and stuff, but I wasn't aware of how much was out there. And getting into school and and sort of hearing about all the different teachers and who everyone was taking, and you know, Mazza name came up a lot, and I was like, oh, I should probably look into this guy, <laughs> and sort of discovered his work directly before I got into his class, and, and was quickly very obsessed um, with all of his stuff, but. So, yeah, he was just incredible for just storytelling. We didn't actually get into drawing. His whole class is sort of based on storytelling. But um, as far as, like, influences, pretty much constantly looking at Ed Brubaker, John Paul Leon, Paula Zissetta. There's, like, four or five artists that I kind of always have next to my desk. And you've also done some other comic work, though. Um, The Black Woods. Yeah. That's an independent book I'm doing with a writer. His name's Joe Ciano. Yeah, we've been working on that for a while, too. That's another thing that I kind of do in between, um, in between Shanghai and other projects. It's going to be six issues, and I'm on the fifth one right now, just finishing up the fifth. Fortunately, Shanghai isn't the only um, comic I've been <laughs> able to do this whole time, because that would be kind of depressing. <laughs> <laughs>
0: And The Blackwoods, where will we find that since it's an independent book?
2: We've only printed the first three issues. The first, I actually just got um, reprints of one and three that I'm going to put back up on my site, which is just Dead Crow Comics on Big Cartel. We're still kind of like trying to pitch it to some places, which is why we only have the the three issues out. We don't want to like give the whole thing away. So yeah, hopefully it gets published. But until then, we just have the first three. And are you still doing album cover art? Oh, yeah, yeah. I work um, for a, a record label called Kenneth Bond Records. Uh, and they're based in Montreal. They mainly do like electronic music. They're a pretty big uh, or emerging record label in terms of electronic music. It all kind of started in 2014. Like I started working with Chris in 2014. I started working on Blackwoods. I started working for this record label. And that's a lot of what I've been doing over the past four years. Or that's been like the bulk of it. Yeah, the record labels, super cool, guys. And that's kind of like a steady illustration thing that I get every month.
0: So you have a lot going on. And Chris, I know you have a lot going on because you're working on Cold War through Aftershock. Is that just about wrapped up? Yeah, with the fifth issue, I think Hayden's
1: just about done with it. Yeah, we were actually in an email thread uh, earlier discussing the trade. Uh, we could have gone longer, but I'm also of a mind... I mean, the same with like Shanghai, some stories you can take a very long, circuitous route and some you just want to like get in and get out and tell a good story and not you don't have to explore every corner of the universe. For both of these books, you know, I kind of had a very specific thing in mind, showed up and did it. And I feel like you could go longer, but also stopping before you run out of gas is always
0: good. Absolutely. Go out on a high note. Don't don't work it into the ground. (laughs) You don't want to see things going on a downward slope. And besides, there's other things you want to do, I'm sure.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that book came out so much better than I ever expected it to. I tend not to plan most of my books to be very long, just because you never know if the market can sustain something very long. So I tend to think of things in short bursts. Like, Crowded is the first time a book goes to, like, 20-plus issues, which is terrifying. Um, (laughs) Shanghai is, like, my anchor through all this because I know it's just like, okay, we just have these five, and, like, they just have to be the best five issues that we can possibly do. And I think we're doing that. I'm less worried about, but, yeah, something that's, like, ongoing is just like, oh, crap. Like, not only do I have to nail these, like, five or six issues, then I have to
0: nail... The next five and the five after that so it's a new kind of pressure i'm dealing with well no that's great though it's very exciting five issues you're going to wrap it all up in there so you know every issue is going to be very important no time will be wasted no issues no filler here it's all meat i think our first issue is like 28 pages
1: is it three or four that goes long i don't know like it goes the- long, and then four does two four is okay ten. i think three is two Okay. So yeah, I mean, there are even cases where I try to keep stuff to like 24. That's sort of a nice number for me on the image books. But because we have the flexibility to do however long or short we want. Yeah, some issues just we're like, okay, just need a couple more to make sure that everything is in there. Because we're dealing with a lot, you know, we're dealing with Red's history, we're dealing with Portland's history. Uh, It's a lot of balls in the air, so sometimes we go a little bit longer. But yeah, like, every page of Shanghai is just kind of packed, and it's not a book that you can just, like, sort of sit down and whiz through. Like, it takes a little bit longer. I mean, that's kind of what I shoot for with most of my books, is, like, this is going to take more than five minutes.
0: No, when I read it, I was like, wow this is just the first issue because <laughs> it took me a while. And I was like, <laughs> I thought, well, first I liked looking at it. I didn't want to like rush past Yeah, the yeah. But there was just so much packed in there. I was like, oh, wow, that's one issue. That's
1: pretty solid. And I've been saying that since we started working on this, no matter if you like my writing or not, you can't deny how good this book looks. It's worth picking up just to stare at how good this book is.
0: And I like each issue varying depending on what you want to tell in that issue because Image will let you do that, and that's not a problem. Uh, Smaller publishers will let you do that. Bigger publishers, you know, you have your set 22 pages and it really stinks when someone goes, the book just needed, like, I don't know, another one or two pages. Like, things kind of rushed by, but you don't have to worry about that.
1: That's the one sort of downside doing creator-owned with publishers is a lot of them are locked into You know you can only have this many pages and then if you're like well this issue needs two extra pages they'll be like well you can have it but you'll have to take those two pages from an issue down the road and it's like no like this is not like because I know if I if like it's a devil's bargain if I take that then as soon as I get to that issue I'll be like man why did I give away those two pages like I'm so screwed now Yeah, I I love the freedom of image to just be like, Hey, you go do your book. As long as it's not, you know, a forty page epic, just let us know. That's what Josh and I have been doing. We've just been sort of like hanging out and making a book for the last few years. It's just we're lucky enough we've had a home for it all this time.
2: There were some times even I don't know if it was the second or the third issue where like I would read a scene and be like, This is probably be like a couple more pages long. I don't know if that was two or three. Yeah, I mean it's cool to just kind of be able to do that. There's some things that you can't just like condense even if you have to or or need to. Well, this is very
0: exciting. It's coming out the first issue on June 20th through Image Comics. And folks, take it from me. I read the first issue. You're going to get your 3.99 worth. And it's a mini series, so hey, I really enjoyed it and I like historically based stories to begin with. Have either one of you seen, and this is actually somewhat historically based too, I believe, it's on AMC, The Terror. Is that based on the book, the Dan Simmons book? That I can't say for sure, but I know it's based on some sailing vessels that were lost in the Arctic. Okay, I believe it is based, I read
1: the book like years and years ago, but I haven't watched the show yet.
0: Yeah, I just started watching it a couple weeks ago, uh, getting caught up, but it's really good, and it might be something to be into, so fun to check out. And Josh... Is it true you just started watching Mad Men?
2: Yes. <laughs> wow. Two days ago, and I'm kind of kicking myself because it's so good. Oh, it is. Uh, I'm very excited because I was just kind of – I was like in between shows, and like there's something weird about how there's so much out there to watch. It feels like you – don't know what to watch. And I was like, you know what? I haven't watched Mad Men. I need to watch it. And uh, yeah, it's incredible.
0: It gets <laughs> weird in places and uh, it's really a good series. We, I enjoyed it, but my wife and I both enjoyed it very much. Well, now it's time for the questions I ask all my guests to learn more about you as a person, as a creator. I know, Chris, for you, for rest and relaxation, I like to kick back, watch some movies, have a pizza. Now, Josh, what do you like to do for rest and relaxation?
2: I usually play some kind of video game, which has become harder and harder these days because there's like a, a guilt associated to how much time they take up. <laughs> I'll play for like maybe an hour or two and I start to really feel crappy because I feel like, oh man, I could have gotten a lot done in that time. So that's bad. I like I kind of have a problem like relaxing or just taking a break or whatever. I kind of work a lot. <laughs> Other than that, I mean... I go for walks with my dog, try to read comics. I have a huge stack by my bed that never seems to get any smaller. And pretty much every day, I always a lot like some kind of downtime where I just sort of watch stuff with uh, my fiancé and chill with my dog. That's the best way that I can relax. Okay, here's a hypothetical question. If you were stuck
0: on a deserted island and you could only have one book with you, What would that book be? Now, last time, Chris shared with us that his island book, at least at that time, was The Essential Harlan Ellison. It doesn't have to be that. It can be be a graphic novel. It can be a regular novel, whatever book you would like to have with you.
2: That's very hard because I feel like even the best book or my favorite book, you would just... It would almost be depressing that that's the only thing that you could have and <laughs> look at. Um, so I'm not really sure how to answer. Um, uh, could I pick a series as that's as one book? Yeah. Okay, probably the Lord of the Rings. What? Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> it's really long. I've read it five, like five or six times. I can't
1: believe I'm just finding this out. <laughs> why? <laughs> no
2: it's fine i'm just i have a fantasy blind spot i mean i only say that because it's super long and i've read it multiple times i mean granted it's been years and years since i read it but i feel like because of its length and i know that i like it and i like all the characters it would be entertaining for a long period of time but then again i would get i would get sick of it and get depressed so i don't know that's hard I don't know how to answer that. I think more of just <laughs> came off the top of my head.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, usually the first answer is the best. <laughs> now, for a beverage of choice, when I asked Chris about that, it was, you know, coffee, energy drinks to help him get, you know, stimulated for writing. Josh, what is your beverage of choice, either for working or resting and relaxing?
2: Um, so this is not if I'm still on the island. This is just in general. You're off <laughs> the island. You're safe at home. <laughs> okay. Uh, definitely coffee. Yeah.
0: Now, this is again a hypothetical question. So don't get too excited. <laughs> They're going to make an action figure of you. And if they did, what would be your accessory? Now for Chris, that was his trusty backpack. He's got a cigarette, his lighters, his pipe, a cup of coffee, his phone. What would be your accessory if they made an action figure of you? Probably
2: my dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't know. I'm not big on like stuff other than books and art stuff. So probably my dog. Okay. I can have that as an accessory.
0: (laughs) Sure. Now, this question is for both of you. Chris, I'll start with you. Thinking back to a birthday that stands out in your memory, why is it special to you? Was it a person that was there, a gift, a place? What birthday of yours stands out? There was the
1: birthday where I got a sword right before we went to play laser tag after eating Indian food. And I feel like that sums me up pretty well so i'm gonna go with that one
0: (laughs) josh how about you a special birthday
2: for some reason whenever someone asks me about my birthday or any birthday memorable one it's not a special one it's one where (laughs) the power went out in our house and it was really awful and (laughs) that's the only one that i can ever think of I can't really remember my birthdays. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of a boring person. I don't ever do anything for my birthday. <laughs> so, unfortunately, it's going to have to be the weird one where I think I was like 13 and the power went out we lit some candles. <laughs> Sorry, that's very honest. No, it, it doesn't have to be a good memory. It can just be one that stands <laughs> out. Yeah.
0: <you know? laughs> well, let's try this. Thinking back to when you were younger, you're in your room, and Josh, I'll start with you. What pictures or posters did you have on the wall?
2: I had a bunch of those weird walmart posters of like spider-man they're like super big ones i had some band posters and yeah that's pretty much it movie posters stuff like that and what was your favorite movie at the time i mean it's it's boring
0: but it's, it's gonna be star wars that's cool i got a bunch of those posters I would always get when the special editions came out I got those posters I would send away I don't know if it was Pepsi or Coke somebody had a promotional I got all those yeah sure why not
2: I had like the prequel posters though like not even like the good ones it was all I think I had Clone Wars which is like very obviously the worst one (laughs) it's the most forgettable I think (laughs) it's just it's a terrible movie let's be honest
0: (laughs) Chris, how about you? What did you have hanging
1: in your room? So I'm older, so I used to buy CDs when they had uh, those long boxes. So the front of the long box would just basically be the cover art. So I would basically cut those out, and I built this collage on my wall of, like, all this long box art. So that was, like, the majority of it. And then I just had, like, a rotating cast of posters that I don't even – like, I don't have any of them anymore. It was just like whatever dumb garbage I was into at the time. I have much better stuff on my walls now. I mean, you'd
2: hope so, I guess. I've seen his walls. They're very good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, still back at that time, Chris, since you mentioned CDs... What were you listening to at that time? Which ones were you cutting out and hanging on the wall?
1: Oh, it was all rap music. A lot of uh, gangster rap. All flavors of the rainbow, I guess. That was my whole high school experience, was just listening to rap. And then right at the end, I started to get into rock music. And then uh, just... a sort of all-purpose music nerd. Once I got into college, I'm learning a lot about Chris. My, my deep name. hip-hop knowledge—I
0: don't talk about <laughs> it a lot. Josh, how about you? What were you listening to at that time?
2: I'm like one of the last generations to buy CDs. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be as cool as Chris's uh, music <laughs> collection. Um, I listened to a lot of like Blink 182. You know, like that was my era. <laughs> my Comic Romance. All that stuff. I do a lot of, like, the Beatles for some random reason. Like, you know, when my brother discovered, like, LimeWire and, you know, <laughs> downloading music, I had a very weird selection of mixes from just, just the most random bits of music. From, like, Beatles to, like, Stain to, like, Techno. It was just very weird. Now, final question. For each of you, what is
0: the one question you wish an interviewer would ask you? The one thing you want people to know about you that you have never been asked before. Chris, we'll start with you. I feel like I talk about
1: myself online constantly, like, and I don't really disguise much about myself. I wish an interviewer would like ask me why I'm so cool. (laughs) (laughs) It wouldn't be true. I just want an interviewer to ask me that.
2: Josh, how about you? Well, I haven't done a lot of interviews. This is actually my first podcast. I haven't spent a lot of time thinking about what I wish people would ask me. I know I like to talk about process. I like to talk about the nuts and bolts of making art, but that's not (laughs) very exciting. Oh, it can be.
0: But, you know, some people want to get into that that level of detail and uh, others maybe not so much. Are you using both um, pencil, paper and digital?
2: Well, I pencil digitally. I like I do my layouts traditionally and then I ink uh, traditionally and then I color uh, digitally. So it's like a mix of everything. Okay, And you do commissions at all or? I don't do a ton of commissions. I would like to and and need to do more. Um, I don't know. I'm just kind of I feel like I'm constantly busy and um, I, I don't uh, put it out there enough that I can do commissions, <laughs> but um, I'm trying to get better at that when I, you know, go to cons and stuff and just do them there. So, yeah, that's something I'm kind of working on.
0: Well, getting back to Shanghai Red and cons, will either of you have a chance to go out and promote this at all? Or how will you be promoting the book outside of, of course, podcasts and written interviews?
1: We're going to be at Heroes uh, in Charlotte. Awesome. I'll see you there yeah that's that's all i have planned uh i guess i'm gonna be at thought bubble in leeds uh in september but no i mean we're both gonna probably do signings uh when the book comes out locally but yeah right now we're just trying to let the general public know that we have a really cool comic and they should order it or just buy it when it comes out
2: i'm gonna be doing a signing and Friendly Neighborhood Comics in Massachusetts, I think it is. I want to double check. Yeah. I'm doing one with them for the weekend of the the, the book coming out. And also Heroes trying to do New York, but I don't know if I'm going to get a table. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I have been talking with some people about doing like some kind of small like East Coast tour once we have like two and, and three out. Because I've heard that it's better to sort of uh, wait till you have a little bit to go on some kind of tour or something. So I plan on doing that. But other than that, yeah, just basically trying to get the, the word out as much as possible. Oh, well, very good then. So that's
0: Shanghai red and that'll be coming out on June 20th through image comics. Thank you very much. Both of you for being on crater talks this week. Yeah. Thanks for having us on next week's show. I have my youngest guest nine year old Bryce Bullock and his parents, Demetrius and Michelle. Bryce is a local artist here in Delaware, and he's going to be talking about his first comic book, Daddy Long Legs and the Inchworm. Please join us. Thank you for joining me for Creator Talks this week. The show is available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and also on Amazon Echo and Dot Devices. Just say Alexa, play podcast Creator Talks, to hear the latest episode. In addition, you can listen to the show and follow it through Podbean. Your feedback is greatly appreciated, so please rate and review on iTunes if you like the show or an episode that you heard. Your ratings and reviews go a long way to helping the show, and I can't thank you enough for taking a bit of time to do that. For your convenience, in the show notes of each podcast, I have a link to my iTunes page where you can rate and review the show and see the entire list of shows available. If you haven't heard them all, take a look through. There are living legends and up-and-coming comic creators tell family and friends who like comics and comic book creators about the show and to subscribe the content is free just as valued are your comments and feedback you can reach me through facebook and twitter at creator talks pod that's at creator talks pod you can also reach out to me by email you can find that at my website Creatortalks.com. at the website you will also find blog posts reviews of books that I have read that you might want to read too, my catalog of podcasts, and videos and other written articles on the website creatortalks.com. A hearty thank you to all my guests. It is an honor and a privilege for you to make time to be on the show and talk to me about your work. It is your knowledge and insight into the creative process that makes the show so unique. My thanks also goes out to my family who makes this show possible, especially my executive co-producer, Mrs. Calloway. I'll be back each and every Thursday with a new interview. For Creator Talks, I'm your host, Christopher Calloway. Until next time.